been there and you can see everybody and people can like have a conversation and stuff. So yeah, it sounds pretty fire. You really button your jacket up all the way? Aren't you roasting? No, maybe. Oh. I don't know. I'm just pre-show um, coat habits. <laughs> However many buttons I have when I play will be the amount of buttons I'll have during the show. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't played with that yet. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just found out it existed like last year. Just today. CockhouseOregon.com If you want some cute-ass farm content. And Instagram is also forthcoming whenever that is. Hopefully pretty soon. But check out the website at least. You'll see some bios from some really cool farmers. An allegedly satanic goat. <laughs> Though he's actually quite a sweetheart. But the photo of him is very, like, pentagrammy, you know? And I have a feeling that was on purpose. It oh. Just it just happened that way? Yeah. Well, that's... <laughs> Tis the way of mysterious goats who know how to party. They are indeed nature's presidents. Alright, I'm gonna draw the first story. Which is in the other room, and I gotta go get the hat real quick. Okay. I'll be just... Alright, first card I draw is going to be the overarching story. Second card will be the first story of that uh, saga. So tonight's main spook is called Just Say It. Alright, and the first story is called Everything Smells Like Lemon Scented 
hand sanitizer. Okay, so just say it, and everything smells like lemon-scented hand sanitizer. Alright. Come on, man, just say it. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I think you, I think you know what I'm talking about. Dude, I, I don't even have a clue. Bernard looked at Harold deep in the eyes. Bernard said, just say it. Admit that you don't shower as often as you should. Harold said, no, I'd take showers like every two-ish days. And Bernard said, Ugh. Bernard said, nah, you do not shower every two days. Every time you go to work, you smell very putrid. You know, I'm not thrilled about working at this particular service job during a pandemic. But at the very least, I like that my co-workers would bathe so that they won't spread it in any sort of way. And Harold just said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I take a very adequate amount of showers and bathing. I can even tell you the kind of soap I use and the type of conditioner. And Bernard said, all right, what kind of conditioner do you use then? And Harold said, long-term relationship. It's very scented. Bernard said, all right, I admit that you smell like berries occasionally, but I feel like you just used that to cover up your putrid scent. Listen, I'm not judging for you not taking showers as often as you should. Who's to say how often a shower should be? But even still, this is a global health crisis. The least you can do is do the people around you a solid. Harold sat on a bucket quizzically because in the back office they didn't have chairs. They just had to use buckets for seats. Harold said, no, I take, I take showers, I swear. So then the shift ended and, and Harold was just like, thought to himself, oh, that was close. I didn't want Bernard to know that I never took showers. Ever. Occasionally I would use some very scented conditioner to make my lo locks look luscious and healthy. But I would never dare use a bar of soap. Maybe it was a phobia. phobia. Maybe people can make a reality TV show about me in the four times. But even still, not taking a shower. But still, he thought Bernard had a point. It's important to be relatively clean during a global pandemic. So, Harold thought about it, and he was like, oh, I know what I can do. So he went to the store and bought a bunch of lemon-scented hand sanitizers. As many as he could find without being a dick. 
debug, and then that night, instead of taking a simple five to ten minute shower, he just squirted the lemon-scented hand sanitizer all over himself. You know, on his neck, his face, his armpits, his, armpits, his genitalia, and everywhere. He felt a good burn all over his body. He's just like, ooh, yeah, this is this is what clean is, right? So he goes to work the next day in a service job that doesn't have chairs, only buckets. And then Harold goes up to Bernard and says, oh, hey, Bernard. And Bernard's just like, oh, hey, what's up? And Harold's just like, nothing much. Bernard just smells something, sniffles with his nose, and he said, Did you shower, Harold? And then Harold said, Well, I sure did. And Bernard said, Okay, good, good. It's cool to be clean, you know, hope you feel better about it. Didn't mean to, ha didn't mean to hassle you about it, but I think everyone around you is going to appreciate it. And Harold said, Yeah, definitely. like, ah, oh, yeah, Sani wearing sanitizer all the time counts as being clean, totally. So eventually he developed a habit where every week he'd go to some random pharmacy or grocery store or supermarket or whatever and just buy a bunch of hand sanitizer, all lemon-scented, because that was the scent that he enjoyed the most. And he'd rub it on himself as often as someone would shower with it. So about a few weeks went by with this habit. And most people didn't really notice that he didn't shower and just rubbed himself with antibacterial goo every night. Until Bernard kind of came up to him and was just like, uh, Harold, listen, I, I remember that uh, conversation about showers that we had like a month ago? Harold said, uh, no, I don't think so. I think you were, yeah, yeah, you were just hassling me about my hygiene, but I shower plenty, I assure you. And Bernard's just like, I don't think so. You know, I mean, there are plenty of soaps out there that smell like lemons, but you smell, you smell like densely of alcohol and end of lemons. So you either shower adequately and drink a lot, or you've been dousing yourself with sanitizer. Harold said, uh, no, I don't know what you were talking about. I take ample showers. I use uh, scentless soap. Sometimes with lemons, sometimes scentless. You know, whatever, whatever. Bernard said, okay. But you know, it's not good for you to just rub your whole body with antibacterial stuff because your body does need bacteria, you know. But, you know, Harold said, uh, I mean, yeah, I know that. I, I know basic hygiene, you know, whatever. And Bernard said, okay, well... I'm sure you're someone that can take care of himself, but I am just thought I'd give you a heads up, you know. Like, if I see someone put plastic in a microwave, I'm going to tell them, hey, that's cancerous. So, giving you just that same baseline courtesy. You don't have to take offense to it or anything. 
and then Harold was just like, no, no, I, I get it, yeah. But then Harold, uh, ended his day as he did all of his days, dousing himself in limited hand sanitizer. He's just like, yeah, I just don't see what this big deal is. So he goes to bed night that night. But then when he wakes up, it's morning, about 8.30. And he feels a little bit off. The sun's coming in through his window, as it does every day. His, usually, his usual signal to wake him up. But he feels a little bit funny. So he pulls the covers off him. And lo and behold, the lower half of his torso is missing. Not missing, but it just seemed rotted out. It seemed the bottom of his chest was had a sort of rot to it, and so did the tops of his pelvis. But his abdomen and the bottom part of his spine it was vanished, as well as the part of his arm between his elbow and his shoulder on his left side. It was like pieces of him rotted off and disappeared. He was just like, oh my god. He started to shout, scream, you know. He lived in a studio apartment, you know. He didn't have a lot of neighbors because they moved out, but he kept shouting. Hopefully someone could hear him. He couldn't reach his phone or anything. And then someone storms in, looking like a space cadet, similar to the outfit of that green alien from the Flintstones or something, or from a very campy, like, 1930s uh, sci-fi novel. And he looks closely at the face, and he see that, sees that it's his own. And then the stranger with his face says, He's awake! He's awake! So a bunch of other pulpy spacemen kind of come in and hold him down. And Harold's just like, ah, what's going on? What's going on? And then uh, another version of himself that wore a space outfit said, well, don't you know about the war? And then Harold said, the war? What are you, what are you talking about? And then another uh, space stranger says, yes, the war. The war within your body. You see, there's been so much bacteria in your body because you just never fucking showered that we had to do what we can, what we can to fight against it, to keep your body intact. We tried to stave off all kinds of diseases related to bodily health, including COVID-19 a couple of times. Every strand we could find, we tried to fend it off, tried to fend off the germs. But then the all the sanitizer that you put on wiped a lot of them out, at least on your skin. And that gave us an opportunity. See, since during that time, all those weeks and months that you didn't shower, you've been devising a weapon similar to your atomic bomb. So when we saw that the bacteria that you were destroying were now vulnerable, it was our time to attack. However, like all powerful weapons beyond a person's control, 
There are more casualties besides the victims, but also the terrain that we used it on. And Harold shouted, yeah, it's my body. You destroyed my body. And then uh, the space stranger said, well, we destroyed it to save it, you see. And Harold says, no, that's not how that works at all. <laughs> and, and the stranger's just like, well, you know what we had to do during war. That's just the way of it. If you've read any of those war novels in the past, uh, in the early uh, 20th century, you know, from your uh, place of Earth and stuff, you gotta do what you gotta do during war. Moral of the story. And Harold just said, oh, you should have you should have contacted me somehow. If you can, if you can get really big and stuff." And then the uh, stranger said, "Yes, that's right. You see, we had to." We realized that your body wasn't going to last because we destroyed it in a war. So we found a device to make ourselves big and to assume your form. So now our species looks just like you so we can roam about the planet, you know, and live live a life just on your earth. And Harold said, no, I didn't know it was so severe. Again, you should have contacted me. And then the stranger in the cadet suit said, no. You've known how severe it was all along. The stench, the grime, the slime, the ooze. You've oozed out of places you've never even knew, knew you could have oozed out of. And yet you've done nothing. You didn't even jump in a river or swim or anything. That almost counts. You didn't even do that. And when it rained, you'd use an umbrella. It was just like you were so determined to avoid any sort of bathing ritual from any time period, even if you didn't use soap. You didn't even just do like a baby wipes on the armpits or something, nothing. You've done nothing to help us. So we were left to our own devices. Just say it. And Harold said, okay, fine. I didn't shower. It's a phobia. Ever since the pandemic started, I just became paranoid about it. All of my daily habits changed when the pandemic happened, but something about bathing just terrified me. I don't know why. I know it's irrational. I know I acted out of fear, but I don't care. I am who I am and I accept it. And then the cadet said yes. We had to accept it too. So we've made our way out of your body, most of us. So there's no organisms in your body left to defend you. So you're off on your own devices now. So you can live how you want now. Now that we're not here to help you. So then one by one the cadets left. And then tossed him his phone if he wanted to call a doctor or something. And then Harold just like fell to the floor and just said, You bastards. You bastards. Just say it. You ruined me. And the cadets said no. You ruined us. And then one by one, the cadets left the room. And Harold was just like on the floor. Rethinking about all the san sanitizer he used. Wow, that got sticky. Yeah. <laughs> it can go two places from here. Mm. The story of Harold or the story of the cadet. Or the story of someone else. There could be, yes. There are definitely road, ma road maps that can take place. 
could be an, any number of things, but it all depends on what the next card is. This next story is called... <laughs> I wonder who wrote this one. Marble Balls. <laughs> I don't know who, who, who could it have been. I wonder with a little spiral on it, I don't know. Could it could have been anyone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like to think my stories have morals. <laughs> this reminds me of somebody taking a fucking shower. Yeah, Sh shower, shower adequately, you know. Adequately, yeah, good point. Because people might not adequately shower. They're just going to get in and get out. Yeah, you know, or just like leave the shower nozzle running and not hop in. <laughs> Which sounds like a complex, but that's part of Harold's yeah. character. There are those. If you're, in, if you're a spook enthusiast, it's probably likely that you've heard of the acclaimed web series called Marble Hornets. But you may not have heard the lesser known, Marble Balls. You see, Marble Balls took a similar trajectory to Marble Hornets. You see, Marble Balls started off as a like a home repair housing decoration web series. It was just about a contractor who'd go to house to house and he would just like, you know, either do simple repairs or do more extravagant interior design uh, specifications. He'd always ask permission for, the, for his clients to do it. You always say, "Oh, it's like a reality. It's like a smaller scale of like one of those reality shows where people rebuild their homes and stuff." But I'm just doing like one task or two. And they're just like, "Oh, okay, sure, you can film it. Yeah, I don't mind being on the internet." And the contractor said, "Yeah, great." <clears throat> and he would just go to people's houses, you know, redesign their backyards, build porches. paint walls, paint murals, all kinds of activities that would stimulate uh, any homeowner. But this contractor's signature specialty was dealing with marble. He could 
install any sort of marble slab, any sort of counter. He knew how smooth it was. He knew how impenetrable it was. And that's why it was a specialty. Whenever there was someone who was just like, yeah, we just need a marble counter. The contractor was just like, oh yes, sign me up. And then bam. It's part of the reason why he named his web series Marble Balls. Because he had these stones made of marble. And they were perfect spheres. He had two of them, and he'd roll them around in his hands and all that. And he'd bring them to every job for luck. Him and his marble balls. But like marble hornets, marble balls eventually got spooky. It all happened. Some of his episodes were live-streamed. Because some, some of his uh, audience was just really into the live footage of just home decoration and uh, building and whatnot. There's totally a market for that. But then for one client, he went down to the basement and he found a body. He was like, oh shit, a body. So footage being live <clears throat> with the footage being live the rest of the video is just him trying to escape the house and apparently the owner of the house was after him as with people he lived with but the contractor made it out alive so then you know that episode kind of brought him to a more acclaim to a national stasis as much as homeowners loved his show, he now had a new spook category to his home decorating show. He was just like, oh shit, I can compete with home makeover. But apparently the person in the house he was in was an axe murderer. And he was half inclined to murder the contractor with an axe, but luckily the contractor got away. And that left the contractor in a tough position. You see, he loved, you know, home building, homemaking. It was his passion. He loved the contracting projects that he did. But he saw this new spook market that he didn't anticipate. So he kind of, while still wanting to do home renovations and whatnot, he also had to tie that into ghost hunting and whatnot. So then he became even more niche and also more popular because he only started to renovate homes that were haunted. The owner said, yeah, it's haunted. I don't want to deal with it. You know, I need you to work on this house. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And then he'd always do the renovations at night, which is kind of counterintuitive if you were just focusing on the renovations. But if you're digging for spooks, you know, it's prime spook hour. So the contractor would just say, yeah, it's just, ah, spooks. He would even get one of those devices that 
allegedly pick up white noise, but he kind of questioned it because it seemed like kind of BS, unless it was just like filtering in white noise and doing earnest translations of that. But, you know, how to, how that would deal with any sort of specific ectoplasm was beyond him, if that was a thing, you know. And some of them were really decked out, and he was just like, alright, this is a for-profit thing and not so much of a tool, you know. He had his own tools for contacting spirits. He had his lucky wrench. If he left it alone, it would move, sometimes with the wind, for sometimes for reasons he couldn't explain. He didn't try to get any specific ghost footage, just as long as, the ho as long as the home renovations were spooky. Just like in that first episode where he found that body of that axe murderer. And it was a tough act to balance. Both to balance home renovation and ghost hunting. And he had a lot of trouble with it. So he tried to probe the news a little bit. You know, just to see, like, any sort of big stories uh, of local shenanigans happening, you know. Tried to, he tried to contact paranormal normal experts for any, uh, well-known haunted houses or anything like that. But then he gets a call on his, uh, cell phone, his business, uh, number. Just like, oh, you're the you're the home renovator that uh, renovates uh, spooky places, and the contractor said, yeah, yes, I am. And the person on the other line said, all right, I have a job for you. And the person said, let's meet in person and talk about it. So the contractor uh, drove up to a house. It looked very spooky. It was very Victorian very well built. He admired the decor of it on the outside. And he thought to himself, is this the house that has to be renovated? So he goes in and the person agrees to him like, oh hi, you're Mark? And then the contractor says, yeah, I'm Mark, nice to meet you. He's like, okay, cool. Yeah, come in, come in. I'm Arthur, by the way. Okay, good to meet you. So Arthur and Mark, the contractor, sit at a sit at like a nice little dining area next to the back window. And then Mark said, "Oh, is this the house you want me to work on to renovate?" And Arthur said, "Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's uh, it is haunted, and you don't have to film in it if you don't want. I think that's okay. It's just I tried to." contact like other contractors to work on this house it's just very spooky and also uh it's not poorly built but it was poorly maintained like the wires don't lead anywhere and the studs are in weird places so there's that element to it but also you know i just need someone with experience with spooky things who can work on this house and then mark says well i'm i think i'm yeah i think i'm your guy I don't know of any other contractors that uh, handle haunted houses and whatever, so I can definitely do that for you. And Arthur says, great, great, I'll show you to what I need worked on.
So they go down to the basement, and uh, the contractor was kind of eked out because he thought about that first spooky job with the axe murderer. So, Mark and Arthur are down there, and Arthur just points and says, Alright, this is it. And Mark just looks, and it's just a giant hole in the ground. It's just in the center of the basement. It goes very deep. It doesn't seem to have a bottom to it. So Arthur's just like, yeah, I mean, like, you don't have to, you know, I don't know. The thing is, I don't know where this hole came from. You know, I've tried to fill it up. I've tried to have people, uh, you know, try to fix it or, like, you know, or just like to have, like, a floor over it. But they either fall in or I just find them as a bloody mess, mess after, you know. Mark said, well, you know, so you just want me to have like a layer of concrete just over this hole that just appeared? And Arthur's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't here when I moved in. I mean, it was kind of here, but there was like a, you know, there's some sort of like satanic symbol or something. And then like, you know, probably a few years in, just like the, the basement just got like caved out. And now there's just like this giant, perfectly circular hole here. And I just, I just want to, like, walk around, you know, I just need some room for activities, you know, I want to try to get, like, a workout bench down here. So just anything they can do with this spooky, ominous hole would just be great, you know. I'm not asking for much, it doesn't have to be perfect. I know it's not, like, you know, it's not an ideal situation. I know there's no protocol for filling this uh, seemingly bottomless hole, uh, but, like, you know, whatever you can do. I mean, it's, like, 12 feet wide, so just... To something, anything. Whatever your expertise do, I know you do, like, spook contracting. The contractor said, yeah, I guess I guess I do spook contracting, but I mean, honestly, a better bet would just be, like, to move out of the house, you know? Because even if I do have, like, a layer of concrete or cement over this hole, it's just gonna, like, break apart again. And I don't know what the, this hole has, like, mystical property, properties or anything, but, like, yeah, I don't think this is, uh, real, my, my professional opinion is that you should move out and just, like, fill, just find a basement that doesn't have deep hole in it. And Arthur's like, yeah, I get that, but, like, can you, if you could just, like, fill up the hole or something, or just, like, you know, even, like, some support beams or something, you know. And then Mark says, well, you also, you've also found people as, like, a bloody mess, mess too? And Arthur's just like, well, yeah, yeah, sometimes, like, you know, it's like they were, like, attacked by, like, a giant, like, boar or something, you know. Sometimes I've seen them in pieces, whatever. And Mark's just like, uh, alright, um, maybe that, maybe whatever's happening is coming out of this hole. And Arthur's like, yeah, maybe. And Mark's like, so if you have, like, some sort of, like, satanic beast or whatever coming out of this hole attacking people you know, would be the best idea to live in place with this hole. And Arthur's like, okay, I, I appreciate the feedback, but anything anything you can do with this large hole would be great. And Mark like, well, if you're gonna pay me for the job, I'll do it. Uh, yeah, I guess I won't, I may or may not film it. And Arthur's like, oh, you can if you want to, but you're, you don't have to. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm not here for, I've seen some of your, uh, guests and clients on the show. Some of them like the hype of just being on your show. I'm not really into that. You can film it if you want, but I'd rather just, you know, just take care of this hole. 
marks as well. Okay. So Mark did this project during the day because, you know, when he did nighttime renovations, it was only to amplify spooky places that weren't that spooky. But since this was super spooky, he didn't want to take any chances and just do a good job during the day. So he tried to do what he could. He tried to, uh, approach it like he was building the second floor of a house, you know, just have like a, just like, like some insulation and wood and something. He tried to have some steel beams, uh, that could be from one end of the hole to the other. And then try to, you know, support the, have a uh, cement over it. He started off as a low, at a low place, you know. He actually had to dig around the cement, in the surrounding cement in the, in the basement, so he could focus on the dirt level of it. And he just, like, dug down, and then installed the beams, so that they were crisscrossed into the hole. And then that would allow him to have, like, a layer of cement and concrete over it. And then he put in more beams, and then more cement. He only did this because, you know, he just didn't want the floor to cave in from this giant hole. So if he did the... If he laid a dense enough foundation, he thought that he could, you know, really plug this hole adequately enough for people to live here, you know. So, uh, you know, two weeks go by. You know, it's Mark's biggest project. You know, most of his projects only take a couple days or whatever at most. And then, uh, he gets the footage of all of it, and he's just like, alright. And he calls Arthur down, he says, alright, so how does, how does this look so far? And Arthur looks around. The, ba the floor of the basement is just like pure, smooth cement. He walks on it, does a little dance holding his hips, and he's just like, yeah, this is adequate. And then he jumps up and down where the hole is. And Mark's still having the footage rolling because he likes to do that for, like, the reveal of a project. And he's just like, I don't think he should really do that. And Arthur keeps jumping up and down, and he says, well, if you did a good job, then I have nothing to worry about, right? And then Mark says, that's technically true, but I was gonna say, you know, I could only do so much to amend the problem. You know, you don't really want anything too heavy, like, on the center of this. Maybe kind of, like, try to, like fence this area out or something so people aren't walking on it too often. I mean, I do believe that it's safe, but, like, my belief in the safety is not, like, it's not, like, written in stone, you know? And Arthur says, well, no, no, I think you, I think you did a good job with it. And then that moment, the floor collapses, and Arthur falls in, all the cement and all the beams all ripped out of the floor and then just sucked into the void. And it was a suction process. At first, Mark thought it was just a, you know, just a giant hole. But it is like a vacuum. It's air that's being sucked in. The footage was still rolling and he didn't know what was going on, but he didn't care. He just tried to escape from the basement. tried to go up the stairs, but the stairs were being peeled away. All the support beams were being peeled away and whatnot. And through his own willpower and strength, he gets out of the house. But as he watches the house, the house just collapse. 
get sucked into the hole. Until it's nothing that... It's just a hole that remains. And he was just like, oh, damn, that was a nice house. What was that, the 1850s? Shit. But he was also just, like, stunned by the house being absorbed by the earth. So eventually, uh, the new news crews show up because uh, a house being sucked into the earth is pretty newsworthy. So then he's giving an interview, you know, he's talking about, yeah, yeah I was filming an episode of Marble Balls. And uh, I'm going to upload my footage of it, but, uh, yeah, this, uh, yeah, there was this, uh, house and just got sucked in, you know. And then the news reporter just kind of nodded, and then she was just like, so just say it. And then the, Mark, the contractor, said, excuse me? Just say this was a job you couldn't do. You failed so hard that the house no longer exists. So just say it so that everyone can hear. And uh, Mark the contractor was just like, oh, this is the reporter's last day or whatever. And he was just like, all right, you're right. I did not succeed in this contracting, so I will just say it. I did all I could. I tried, I advised, my, I advised myself to the best of my ability to Arthur. But yeah, I'll be, I'm willing to admit it. This house was just unfixable. This next story is called Three Dragons. Everyone knows the prophecy of the three dragons. prophecy of heroes and triumph where totally nothing can go wrong it was about three heroes that could vanquish a great evil together but only together through the power of will and wits something Josh knew in his heart. He studied it for years. Ever since he took that graduate program in ancient literature, he knew the ways of the three dragons. And he felt like he was one of them. And he made it his destiny to meet the other two dragons. so they could fulfill the quest that they've always destined to. Now, Josh, having a master's degree, didn't fully know how to start. 
the separate quests. Oh, the ways of old, the ways of new. So he contemplated in the ways that he always did, sitting alone at a bar. He found this nice little bar, and this bar in Reno. He sat and contemplated. He could hear people on one corner of the bar talking about the land sharks in the desert. The Jeep Gang, also known as the Land Sharks, being devoured by them, which was just a local legend. But Josh just kept contemplating. There was a Star Wars movie on the TV. It was the first one, the one that came out in the 70s, the one that started it all. And he was just like, oh yeah, to be like Luke or Solo or Leia. That'd be really cool. That's what I want for myself. You see, Josh's dilemma was he wanted to go on this grand quest, quest, but he also liked things simple. There wasn't a lot of nuance in his problem solving. He was just like, yeah, that sounds good, and then he'd launch into it. just sitting alone and then he looks up on the news and he sees a story about the host of the web series Marble Balls talk about a house disappearing and the newscaster whatever her deal was was trying to force him to admit that he failed so he said yes as much as I tried to save this house I did fail Josh said, yes, that kind of humility, that's what this quest needs. I think that's one of the three drag dragons. And I think I am one too, because I have a tendency to project myself on the narratives. Therefore, I must be one of the three dragons, of course. There's also this spook storyteller's uh, opinion that's also the appeal of superheroes superhero stories, just projecting yourself under the narrative. That's why it appeals to a lot of people, but doesn't have a lot of that, not that much substance. I mean, the characters are okay. They have, it, does, it doesn't matter. Not anyway. So Josh made a, made his way to Pennsylvania to track down Mark, the contractor. And Mark just lived, you know, pretty simple life. One that was very admirable. He would just like work when I was contracting, you know. He would just like read books, you know. Sometimes he'd hang out with uh, friends in the neighborhood and go on dates. But you know, he just, you know, he just liked working on houses. And his house was immaculate. He spent his whole adult life on it. And it looked really badass and cool. So one day, well... Mark is having a, after a long day of work, you know, having to go to three different uh, clients' houses, he just like has a, opens a special bottle of scotch, you know, one reserved for days like this. 
He pours it into a small glass. And right before he sips it, he hears a knock at the door. And he thinks, oh, who could that be? So he goes to answer it. And it's Josh. And Josh says, yes. Are you Mark from Marble Balls? And Mark says, yeah, I'm Mark from Marble Balls. And then Josh says, Josh, I think we were destined to meet. And Mark's just like, you just came into my house. And Josh is just like, I know, it's destiny. And Mark's just like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing here? And Josh says, well, there's a, have you heard of the quest of the three dragons? And Mark says, no. And Josh says, well, I don't blame you. It's very, very esoteric. Only the deepest of scholars know the quest of the three dragons. It's about three people who kick ass to save the world. How does that sound, Mark? And Mark just says, well, I mean, I'm just doing contracting work. You know, I found a new market with uh, haunted houses and all, but I'm just kind of just, just chilling out, you know. It's a pandemic and all. I'm just bunkering down. And Josh says, but Mark, this is destiny. We must go on this epic quest of the three dragons. Mark says, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to, though. <laughs> and then Josh says, just say it. Just say you, it's your destiny. And Mark says, no, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. You got to, you got to give me something more about just you, besides you just, like, coming to my house and saying things are destiny and stuff. And Josh says, okay. I got some evidence that you can be badass and cool like me. So he pulls out his tablet, and it looks he he researches some scriptures about the three dragons. And then Mark says, "Oh, where's where are these documents from?" And then Josh says, "Oh, you know, like a probably like 17th century France or something." And then Mark says, "So this isn't even like." Oh, I thought this was, like, way more ancient, but this was, like, in the past couple hundred years or a few hundred years. And then Josh says, yeah, some alchemists came up to w with this. And Mark says, okay, okay. And Josh says, but yes. It was foretold that one of the three dragons is a spook master carpenter. And then Mark says, I think that's kind of just, like, a, that just kind of trickled down from the Bible, you know, like Jesus was a carpenter. I'm sure that's kind of where that came from. Josh says, "No, no." Says this carpenter was a master of spirits and the undead. And Mark says, "Well, I wouldn't call myself a master. I mean, I've only dealt with really two uh, spooky jobs. One of them was uh, with an axe murderer where I almost got murdered. The second one with a big hole in the ground that kind of sucked up the house I was working on. So that." That was kind of a that was kind of a dud. I didn't even get paid for that job. And Josh said, Josh said, but Mark, this is destiny. You need to join me on this quest. And then Mark says, uh, well, what is the quest? And then Josh says, I don't know yet. And Mark's just like, oh well, that's cool, you know. And Josh says, but I know who the other dragon is. And Mark says, okay, okay. 
Josh pulls out his tablet again and pulls up this new story about a guy named Harold who was devoured by, who alleged was torn into pieces and said that his body was torn apart by cadets in his body fighting bacteria or whatever. And then Mark says, oh, it's, I've heard of this guy, you know. Kind of seems like an asshole who doesn't shower. And Josh says, well, he might be the third dragon that we need. So we got to fly out and meet with him. And Mark says, oh, I don't know. I got to, like, work and stuff. And Josh says, well, think of it this way. Think of it as a spook mission, you know. You're equally paid for spooks as you are for home renovations, right? And Mark says, yeah, I guess so, but, like, what are you going to pay me? And then Josh says, well, I'm a trust fund baby. And then Mark says, ah, okay. I guess I'll come with you. So they book a flight to Oregon, where Harold lived. And miraculously, Harold still survived. After his hand sanitizer fiasco. And it's been many months since that incident happened, where the cadets escaped his body and blew him up to win a war. So Harold was in his house. He had different limbs uh, attached onto him. He had an artificial torso so he could breathe. And then Josh and Marco up to him. And Josh says, hey, are you Harold? And Harold said, yeah, yeah, it's me. And Josh says, hi, I'm Josh, this is Mark. We're on a quest of the three dragons. I'm a dragon. Mark's a dragon. And I think you're our third dragon. And then Harold just said, no, I don't know. I don't know what that that's about. And Josh said, oh, yes, it's true. You see, I read that the third dragon was someone who was torn apart by a war, torn apart by a war inside himself. And I think that's you. Harold said, well, the only war I'm up against is the cadets that blew up my body. You see, they, they disguise themselves as versions of me. So now there are a lot of me's roaming the planet. So once I find an ability to travel lightly, I'll hunt all of them down. And then Josh says, well, there's time for that. But we have to go on a quest. says, well, how about you tell me what this quest is, and I'll embark on it with you. And then Mark said, yeah, yeah, just say it, you know. Just say what the quest is, what it has to do with, and we'll consider both joining you on it. And Josh said, okay, I'll tell you.
know, cliffhangers. I thought it would have been... Actually, I, it's not true. I actually didn't think this. But I am not desensitized to the sounds of sirens literally every day. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be ever desensitized from being in a war. No. And a, a cute, sort of cute but not cute one to boot because, you know, um, you still have a house. Yeah, but it's only go it's only going to be less cute. I'm not calling it cute. Yeah, no, I, I, I was using that in contrast, in contrast to places where the wars have escalated to where nobody has buildings. Yeah. Oh, but you know, who knows, though, maybe um, America will be really good at having a war where the buildings will stand and people aren't. I feel like that's like a new type of warfare. I feel yeah. like, I feel like you know, since... In the that's where we're at right now. In the past hundred years, like, wars have been much less violent, you know? And more, uh, more way, ways of uh, manipulating resources and opinions rather than actual, like, hand-to-hand -hand combat, com combat and gunfire. But uh, it's it's unpredictable. You know how I always say the old ways are the best sometimes. Mm -hmm. I I think that's true. Yeah. So <clears throat> being poison blankets, poison water, poison air. I'm really worried about it. Genocide. You know that's an old strategy. Y yeah. Uh, you don't need to burn down a house if there's no one in it to defend it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You don't need to. You don't need to shoot anyone if they have no nothing to eat. You know. Yeah. <sighs> I'm just a puddle of joy. That's so am I. It's, it's a. It's a great. Uh, Here, it's a. It's peacock a, house. We. We like to. We like to keep things light sunny. in peacock house. We like to keep it sunnier. <laughs> yeah. Final story is called I Hate It When People Dip Out Without Being Accountable. <laughs> I can't believe that was in there. I can't believe that's the quest of the three dragons. <laughs> I guess I kind of can, but... <laughs> Josh, look. <clears throat> Finish my drink for that Sorry. one. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> Josh looked at both. Mark and Harold when Josh told them the mission of the three dragons and it led to Mark just saying what and Josh said that's right I hate it when people dip out without being accountable and Harold said yeah yeah me too 
you know, and those those cadets blew me up and bailed, you know. I mean, if you have war on a terrain, you should put the effort to reconstruct and rebuild it, you know? But they essentially left me to die. And Josh was like, see, exactly, I think that's why you're a great candidate for being one of the three dragons. Mark said, okay, well, I'll have to admit, you know, I've had some, I've had some jobs where, you know, people tried to duck out of paying or whatever, or people canceled last minute and all that, and I too hate it when people dip out without being accountable, but how are we gonna correlate that to a grand ancient quest? Josh said, well, I'm glad you asked. See, I have access to vast surveillance technology. And then Mark said, what? And Josh said, yeah, that's right, you know. You know Zoom, how they uh, report things to police and whatnot, you know. Everyone's video conferencing these days. People are sending messages online. It's not like many people are sending carrier pigeons or anything like that. So we can find out who's not being accountable, and then kick their ass. And then Mark said, "Well, it doesn't feel very good." And then Josh said, "Well, let's just let me let me show you what I've got, though." You know. So, Josh is also, he's going through his tablet. And then, Mark beckons the question. Uh, hey, Josh, do you, uh, do you watch a lot of Marvel movies? And Josh says, yeah, I love them. And then, Mark says, you love them. And Josh says, yeah, I love, I love all of them, you know? I've seen every single uh, MCU movie, you know. I just love their uh, problem-solving skills. And then Mark says, uh-huh. We know there's that one Spider-Man movie where he tries to catch bad guys by using uh, face recognition software. And Josh says, yeah, that's right. And Mark says, you don't think that's uh, sketchy or seedy or anyway? I mean, even like the studio writers could have used something more pragmatic and more moral to catch baddies and all that. And Josh said, "No, no, I think it was. I thought it was very effective." And then Mark said, "Okay, all right." So as Josh is going through his tablet, looking for the uh, first mission of the Three Dragons, Harold nudges Mark and he just says, Hey, uh, Mark, how long have you uh, known this guy? 
Mark says, well, I just met him like a week ago, like the, like a couple days after we took the flight over here. And Harold was just like, oh, okay, so did he just like storm in like you, you did just now about like, hey, three dragons and all that. And Mark said, yeah, yeah, it was pretty weird. And Harold had said, yeah, it is weird, you know. I mean, I have a thirst for vengeance as much as the next guy, but uh, I don't really agree with uh, Josh's protocol here. Mark says, yeah, you know what, me neither. And then Mark says, hey, Josh. And Josh is like, yeah. And Mark says, well, we're not really into, you know, your method of uh, master surveillance to, you know, to catch baddies or all that. You know, I don't really know what you're trying to do. I don't know if you're reviewing video conference footage or reading people's messages. But uh, ultimately, it doesn't really seem too cool. You know, and Josh said, "No, no, this is a, but this is a renaissance of transparency. You know, we can find out what everyone's doing." And then Harold said, "Yo, maybe not. Maybe, maybe privacy is not like the worst thing. I mean, there are some institutions that exist that should definitely be transparent. But like, you know, just go hacking into people's private lives that seems very uncool and unethical." Josh said, no, no, it's just, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And Mark says, okay, well, you know what you're doing, but we also know what you're doing. And then Josh is perusing on the tablet, and then he pauses. And he says, oh no, this is the other side of the prophecy. And Harold's all like, what other side? And then Josh is like, well, there's two outcomes for the prophecy. One is that the three dragons band together and save the world and all that jazz. But the other side of it is that the three dragons tear themselves apart, piece by piece. And Harold was just like, well, I'm, I was already torn apart, so I guess I don't have to worry about that. It's not that bad in the aftermath, but, like, it's pretty awful, ultimately. Then Mark says, yeah, uh, Josh, has it occurred to you that we may not be the three dragons? I mean, you could, maybe you studied uh, uh, the lore of the three dragons and you were, like, super into it, and you wanted that to be you, you know? Josh is like, no, no, I'm, I'm totally nailing it, I assure you. And then Mark is just like, maybe you should give us the tablet and kind of chill out a little bit. And then Josh just like, snaps up and he says, all right, fine, fine. If you don't want to, if you want to be part of the three dragons, that's cool, you know. Fine, we'll call this the disbandment, you know. I'll find some more dragons and we'll just kick ass and, you know, hack into people's private lives and bring justice to them, whatever. And then Josh storms out and then Mark says to Harold, uh, Harold, I don't think we can let him leave or anything. And Harold's just like, well, go grab him, you know. And Mark's just like, shit, okay. So Mark grabs Josh before he leaves. And having some fighting ability, he knocks Josh out, you know, ties him up, 
Josh wakes up and he's just like, oh, what the hell's going on? So Harold and Josh are just sitting in front. Harold and Mark are sitting in front of Josh. And then Harold's just like, all right, I know this isn't an ideal situation, but we need you to be cool. need you to come to your senses. We're not three dragons. We're just three people. All that just did some... encountered some spooky stuff, you know. I was torn about... I was torn apart by, like, antibodies that broke out of me. Mark saw a big hole, you know. So I think you just gotta admit that, you know, there's no three dragons thing and just level off of it, you know. We want to try to persuade you. And then if you're not into it, then we can let you go. And Josh said, no, you don't understand. We have to go on this amazing quest. We are the three dragons. We must pursue it. And then Mark said, but Josh, I don't think the, I don't think we're the three dragons right now. And Josh said, oh yeah, look how we're sitting. We're sitting in a triangle. The three dragons were destined to sit in a triangle when they had meetings. And Harold said, you just gotta chill out a little bit, you know. And then Josh said, fine, we won't use surveillance technology, but we gotta defeat the evil. That hole that you encountered, Mark? There's something inside it, and we have to stop it. And those cadets, Harold, that you encountered, they're gonna team up with it and take over the Earth. And then Mark said, all right, I think that's pretty ridiculous. And Josh said, oh yeah, is it? Go ahead, turn on the news. Mark says, all right, fine. And he gets distracted because he sees a possum outside the house. And Harold, Harold's just like, yeah, there are some possums that walk around sometimes. And Josh is like, no, but you gotta see the news. You gotta see the terror that might happen. It was destined to happen. And then Harold's just like, no, but we gotta take care of this possum now. I got, a, I got a BB gun you can use. Alright, I don't hear it. I don't hear it anymore. And Mark says, that's good. I would have helped you with your possum problem. That's one of the things that I do. I'm not like an exterminator, but I have exterminator friends. And you, if you lived in PA, I would have recommended them. And the Harold said, alright, thanks. I appreciate that. So then, uh, they turn on the news on the tablet, and then they see the cadets that broke out of Harold, guiding this giant gopher, worm, snail beast that erupted from the earth, and is wreaking havoc all throughout New England. 
Josh says, you see, we have to stop it, you know? And then Mark's just like, well, what are we gonna do to stop it, really? you trying though you know I don't want it to freak out the other animals in the property and Mark said yeah yeah I get that anyway Josh is trying to untie his hands Finally, he breaks free, and he says, listen, we are the three dragons. Possum problems or not, we have a destiny to stop this creature. And then Mark says, well, Josh, I don't know what to tell you creatures way all the way over there and uh, on the other coast. And Josh says, no, we can, we can do it. We can defeat it. And Harold says, Josh, maybe relax a bit, you know. And then Josh is like, no, no. Sorry, Josh, I'm really distracted by this possum problem, Harold said. And then Mark said, just say it. Just say it, Josh. Just say that we're not the three dragons. And then Josh toils and wraiths around. He says, fine. We're not the three dragons. We never were. It's true, it was a lie that I manifested. But I only did it to meet interesting people. Mark, your contracting work is superb. And the way you make it adventurous in the haunted places, in the spooky places, is just stunning. And Harold, I heard about your story I think it's fucked up you know so what if you don't shower every now and then 
It's not the worst thing in the world. And it's awful what your own parts of your body did to you. And Josh said, I just wanted to, the three of us to get together so we can make the world a better place. says, well, maybe we can, you know. I mean, I'm thinking about expanding marble balls, you know. I usually focus on contracting haunted places. Well, maybe we can go to haunted places together and try to solve mysteries and stuff, you know. And Harold says, yeah, that's cool. Maybe we can track down some of the cadets and put, foot, put it on footage. And then... Mark said, yeah, that's the spirit, you know. Marble balls, you know, starring the three dragons. How does that sound, Josh? And Josh started to cry. And Harold says, oh, Josh, what's the matter? And Josh said, just saw, uh, no. And so I wanted, you know, I spent all those years in graduate school studying ancient texts to try to talk about them with people, but no one was really into it. And now I have these new friends. It's all just very overwhelming. And then Mark says, that's okay. Because together we're the three dragons. You know? Maybe we can try to find like a haunted house thing where people aren't accountable when they dip out, you know? And Josh is like, yeah, that'd be really cool. That sounds like some good footage or something. And then Mark says, all right, so we're all agreed. We shall become the three dragons. And for the first time in his life, Josh felt that he had friends that he could trust. That took some turns. That was that was Wiley. It was. It was. <laughs> I'm gonna read one more because I have a feeling about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This last story is called A Bridge Across My Back. footage was uploaded online, but not many people had the heart to watch it. It was the final episode of Marble Balls that featured the three dragons, Harold, Josh, and Mark. 
they all made a nice little career finding new spooks, different haunted houses. Mark did have a separate series of doing home renovations still, because that was his passion. But Harold, Josh, and Mark. Would go to spooky places and explore them. But they went to one house that was too much for them. The video ended. It's Josh, Harold, and Mark, all covered in blood. Gasping for air and dying. Until the footage cops out. At first, a lot of people perceived it as something like the Blair Witch Project, or even Marble Hornets. Which is like, oh yeah, this is just a work of fiction, you know? Nothing this spooky could happen. But still, Mark was the only one that lived through it. Both Harold and Josh. They died on they died in, in that house. That mysterious house from Indiana. It just seemed like a simple spook job, just like, oh, stay overnight at a haunted house. And Mark, Josh, and Harold all were pepped up about being three dragons and all that. But it was apparently too big for their britches. So Mark, being the only surviving one, uploads the footage in, the in his hospital bed as he slowly recovered from what happened that night. He didn't dare wa watch the footage, but he forced himself to anyway. It started off like any other Three Dragon episode. Josh and Harold being totally pumped, you know, about the next spook, you know. Mark's usually the one holding the camera, but they often take turns. Sometimes it's Harold, you know, sometimes it's Josh. And usually they accentuate their expressions when a house doesn't seem that spooky. They hear a little creak and you're just like, oh, what's that? What's that? You know. They try using the white noise translator. But it usually doesn't amount to much. But then this movement from the darkness came. And it lunged at them and attack. Leaving their bodies torn to pieces. Very bloody. The last 10 minutes of the footage is just running this long cavernous house until Mark falls over and the footage cops out Mark watched it again not wanting to believe it he was relieved that the cadets that escaped from Harold's body and the creature that came from the hole from the house, Victorian house that he worked on, 
They were luckily stifled. By other forces. And they couldn't continue their attack on Earth. But once that stifled, uh, once that was stifled, Mark thought, ah, I think everyone, everything will be better now, but no. Even when the worst of disasters end, there's always another one around the corner. So Mark sat alone on his hospital bed. Thinking about marble balls, thinking about the three dragons. And thinking about what could what it could have possibly been in that house that attacked him. He stays at the hospital long enough so he can, so he's able to walk and he doesn't have to pee in a bedpan or anything. So he's able to get get up to use the restroom himself. So midway through his hospital stay, on the way to recovery, he starts to feel an ache in his back. He lifts up, lifts up his gown and looks in the mirror. And he sees that his spine is red and corroded. Feels like he had bruises all along his spine. But it was something else. You know, when doctors asked him to describe the pain in his spine, he just said, I feel like something's crawling in it. So there's one day when Mark, still in a lot of pain, is resting on the bed. And a doctor comes in and says, Hey, Mark, yeah. Big marble balls and three dragons fan, by the way. Mark says, Oh, hey, thank you. Thank you. So the doctor says, Well, we were looking at some x-rays and, you know, we want to be upfront about what we found. Mark says, okay, well, let me have it. And the doctor says, well, when we're looking at your spine, we can see creatures walk alongside it, up and down, up and down. Mark says, okay. And the doctor asks, well, do you remember anything about that night? filming that final Three Dragons episode. And Mark says, no, no, nothing I can think of. Only that the thing that we saw moved very quickly. And the doctor says, did you see the uh, creature like deploy anything? Anything like that? And Mark says, well, maybe. seemed like there was, it was shooting something, but it was really hard to tell. Everything happened so fast, and it was very painful. The doctor says, yeah, I know, I know, but we think whatever creature you saw in that dark house was shooting spores, and we think one got into your spine. Now, we don't know for sure, 
we think some some sort of embryotic creatures are walking back and forth across your spine. Mark says, oh, that's, that sounds like literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And the doctor says, well, it's, it's not easy news. We're doing what we can, but this is, this is an anomaly beyond any of our medicinal treatment. But then Mark just sat on the Lied back on the bed and thought about Harold. He wished he could ask Harold for feedback. Because Harold had a experience about what it was like to have a bunch of assholes inside of him. You know. In fact, Mark recounted this to the doctor. So it's like, yeah, uh, my friend Harold, uh, who I was doing the web series with, he had a bunch of people inside him, you know. I think they were just like, you know, antibodies or whatever, but they got like human form and escaped after they destroyed his body. And then the doctor says, yeah, we were, we did an autopsy on Harold. We saw that. So we mentioned that there are embryonic creatures shooting up and down your spine. We found very similar creatures inside Harold, but it was almost like we saw like a, a, bu a bunch of abandoned hatched eggs. So whoever took human form outside of and left Harold, it wasn't part of his body. He was also infected somehow. But while his, the species that were in his body were very like, you know, I guess I kind of campy, I guess. Yours is much more malicious and deadly. If these creatures were to hatch and escape your body, they certainly wouldn't let you live. And then Mark says, Alright, well, I mean, is there anything you can do for me? I mean, and the doctor said, No, there's nothing we can do. In fact, you know, we were, I was having a conversation with the ethics board at the hospital earlier today about this conversation. And we've all agreed that we've decided to put you under permanently. Mark said, what? And the doctor says, yes. You see, whatever's in your spine is too vicious for the human race to handle worse than those creatures that took human form that left Harold. Worse than the creature that emerged from the hole that you encountered. No, we're gonna have to... We're gonna have to put you under and try to stifle this threat. Mark's like, well, no, I don't abide by that. There's gotta be something, you know. You can get rid of my spine for all I care, you know. I just want to live. And the doctor says, it's not that simple. You know, we have, we have to destroy, destroy this thing. It's really not up to you. And then Mark says, no, I refuse. I refuse to believe this. So with, with little strength he has, he kicks the doctor from his bed. And managed to hit him right in the stomach. And he just like leaves the hospital room, runs down the hallway. 
goes down many flights of stairs. Some attendants are trying to chase him. Apparently, there's some security that knew about Mark, but also tried to chase him down, but failed. Mark eventually finds himself sprinting through the parking lot. So he keeps running, gets in through the parking lot, and then into the grass. He starts to run out of breath. And while he's surrounded by trees, he collapses, takes a lot of deep breaths feels an extremely sharp shooting pain up and down his spine. And then he lies face down. And the pain in his spine intensifies. So he starts to hear a snapping sound and a, large, and a long, a loud animalistic scream. As it, and it felt like his spine was ripping, ripping itself from his body. So he's on the ground and ahead of him he sees his spine moving on its own and then growing into like a large worm-like creature. It's screeching and screaming. It's perhaps the most horrific thing he's ever seen. That was all this time doing marble balls and three dragons. Then the creature shouts and yells. just in this primordial goo and is just wreathing around like it was just given birth not knowing what to do with, with itself so Mark lying in the grass, grass he's looking at this creature as he's lying in the grass and he's in awe of this creature that came from him tries to burrow in the ground, it has some wings and tries to fly. It's just trying to figure out what it's do what to do with, with itself. And then Mark, losing a lot of blood, is feeling his life go away. And as he watches this creature and his life deplete, Mark just thinks uh, I've always wanted a child, I guess. I suppose this would be the closest iteration. So then an impulse comes from him that says, oh, just say it, just say it. And then Mark just says, I love you, little creature. Be the best you can be. and the creature sees Mark and even in his infantile state starts to devour him 
devours flesh. Mark screams in agony, which is only like a silent howl. sees fade to, fades to black. Shane pulls the air filter we said. Really heavy. Yeah. Screw. That was. Screw fan. It was. Matter with me. I don't know a lot of things probably, <laughs> uh, but it was a very. I, I felt I felt that heavy spook dwelling within me. It's a lot of spook. And it was worth yeah. echoing, you know. It was like a. An episode's worth a spook show into one spook, it felt like. But anyway. <laughs>